Hi everybody! Welcome to Roleplay Chat. We are two game masters who can't stop talking about role-playing games. I am Matt, and this is my co-host Chris. Today is a second part of our discussion with the awesome Brennan Lee Mulligan, which you know from Dimension 20, uh, the actual play show on dropout.tv, or you can also find it on YouTube. Uh, and you also know him from other things like College Humor Sketches. Uh, he also has a vodcast called Adventuring Academy, where he takes deep dives uh, a little bit like what we're doing today with him. Yeah, and like you said, Chris, this is the continuation of last week's episode. So it's the second part of our conversation with Brennan. So if you're just joining us now, we highly recommend you go listen to the first half from last week. It'll make a whole lot more sense uh, if you if you start from there. Uh, and and yeah, the, the episode is a continuation of the conversation on themes. Or not themes, sorry. The continuation <laughs> of the conversation on uh, adventures and the inspiration yeah. for adventures. Creation and setting up of adventures, and uh, you'll notice that we kind of don't stick to that theme. <laughs> taking taking back what you just said, we 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 kind of go all over the place because we're having such a blast with Brand here. We talk about comedy, we talk about improv a lot, in uh, some of like tips at the end, and uh, we hope you like it. Yeah, so enjoy enjoy the show. Let's go back to last week's recording. <laughs> It's really just whatever the behavior is you want to see at your table, you need to be the one to make an ass out of yourself and be vulnerable <laughs> and do that first because then Hell people yeah. will start to match you. Hell yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. I mean, it, it makes total sense. I, I mean, I, I feel like I, I, we, we tossed with that thing, me and Matt, at our table and we, we, we found different ways of doing it. But now that you say it, it's like, yeah, obviously. And for us, because we're all like friends, I guess it wouldn't be like, I, I don't think the burden would necessarily be on the game master, but we would have to actually say like, who's filling up to starting this and then getting the ball rolling. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with new players, for sure, you, you, you have the one, you have to be the one doing it. The way we've been doing it is like at the end of each game, we, we, we do, I mean, it's still like in a trial period, I guess, but we're, we're, we're doing role-play tasks. So basically, there's a whole system. I won't go into, into it. But like at the end of the game, you set yourself a role-play task for next, next game. So when you start, you bring that piece of paper, and you already like have an objective in terms of a scene you'd like to do, uh, a question you'd like to answer about another character. And then you already have... Because often, yeah, it's getting into the character. But often, it's like, what, what scene is there to... You know, like... So, we're going to kind of a vacuum of, of, of story at the beginning where it's always the game master to start at, at some extent, I guess. I 100% agree. That's awesome, too. How, how specific will you get with those role play tasks in terms of the scene? Is it normally like a type of scene or is it like a specific interaction on those role play tasks? So, so the way we work and we have like a... Um, a reward system for doing it, but it's like, uh, let's say I'm the character. I will give a role play task to someone being like, I would like, uh, so let's say uh, I'm called Ludolf, and, or uh, this is my regular name. I'm Chris and I'm giving it to Matt. And I, and I, and I, and I say to Matt on the paper, it says, um, I'd like to know what, uh, how Chris feels about the death of his mother, for instance. So yeah. that means I give a cue to Matt 
about what's important for me to talk about. That way he can come get the information instead of having this weird situation where uh, I want to talk about it, but everybody wants to talk about their stuff. So it was a way to bring like gift giving forward. And there's a whole like system of reward for that, which is basically, it's, I don't use D&D, but like basically inspiration points. Yeah. Uh, so when they achieve that role play test, so that way people are always wondering, how can I help that person in that scene? And often they're going to go back and forth in this scene. You know, the first part of the discussion will be about my mother and then I will switch it to another tap, maybe something else that I have in my role play task. So it kind of a way to communicate without explicitly saying it that, at the table. I love that. I mean, that's great. But basically you are systematizing what would really be there in real life. Because in mm -hmm. real life, when you're spending time with people, those role play tasks are being communicated subtextually. There, exactly. you know, those, it really is. There is someone being there. Like you see that your friend or loved one is, you can just see them down in their face and you go like, hey, what's going on, man? Like, are, is everything okay with you? And it's only because there's this distance between us and the fictional characters that you're not, that, that's, I think that's awesome. That's a great way to systematize that and have that come up within the confines of that game. Um, you know, you know, actually isn't easy. I know that we're, we're having a great conversation about broad theory. Here's a really easy tip. The easiest tip in the world for people that, that is straight from improv. So this is not even a full warm-up game. It's just a great piece of advice. One of the best ways to encourage role-playing at your table is to have when your character or when you as a player observe a trait about another character comment on it in character right mm -hmm. you see it in improv shows all the time someone will start something and they'll you know they'll do something and they'll be like hey watch it i'm walking here and another character rather than what in real life when we might just like let something go might be like man you're very confrontational like you don't put up with a lot of stuff <laughs> the reason that's so great is it bonds those two characters because what do we, what do we really want from other people to be seen. We want mm -hmm. people to, we don't want to be invisible. We want people to see us for who we are. And the second thing is, even, even if it's not phrased as a compliment, when people define something we're going for in our character, it still feels good. If you're playing a barbarian and people are like, whoa, you're wild, man. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I am wild. So I think it's a very easy thing that will help role playing is just ha like, if you're, if you're really struggling and you just want baby steps, the easiest baby step in the world is just make observations about each other. And that's the easiest way in the world to lay a foundation for these relationships to continue to build. I love that, it. That's fantastic. And honestly, Brennan, I, I'm thank you for, for the tips and for the advice. I, it, it, like Chris said, it's funny how when you say it, it sounds so obvious. And some of the games that go the best are when you, when you, when you make those observations, like, Oh wow, those two characters really hit it off. And for me, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that was the reason, but you're right. That that's 100% the reason why, why those two characters start to develop that relationship. And, and ultimately when I play my games, I like it for the party to be united against the problem. Um, but that that's that's a whole other that's a whole other topic <laughs> of conversation, I'm sure. It's great. Well, it's great. There's a, there's a term. What's funny is there's a term in improv called game, which is sort of the engine of comedy within it. And you have every like D and D is a game that has so many games within it. And 
it's those simple tools of like feel the feeling yourself before you want someone else to feel it. Make observations because that will make other people feel good about their choices. If I take a risk and I make a big role-playing choice, the worst thing in the world, even more than people disliking it, is just no one caring, right? Mm -hmm. Like I make a big choice and nobody cares. And like, so to have someone be like, hey, I see that you made a big choice. And that's the precursor to having that great thing where, you know, you have like a rogue with high intelligence and charisma and you have the fighter with high strength and constitution. And there's a, they, they you know, early in the session, they make a couple role-playing choices. The rogue is very loquacious, talks a lot. The fighter, and then the fighter comes in and punctures. So the rogue is like, listen, I'm a man of, of gentle character, but if anything were to happen, I would hate for us to have to become violent. And the fighter goes, yeah, violent. And then you go like, and then you have that moment where the rogue says, I like you. You know, you really put a fine punctuation. You add gravitas to my, and then you realize, oh, we can do this over and over again. The rogue will go on a long, long thing. And the fighter will just repeat the last word menacingly. And you just observe that and call it out. And once you call it out, the fun becomes What's the next way we're gonna do that again? What's the next venue that's gonna happen in? And it becomes this like recurring thing that defines those characters and their relationship to each other. I love it. I love it. And and I think we could talk about improv for, I mean, hours, uh, but I also kind of want to talk to you about comedy. I know yeah. they're kind of intertwined, but I, I also like, if we take a step back a little bit from improv, like clearly the, the 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 tone you're going for in Dimension 20 is comedic because I mean that's college humor, drop drop out. It's it's kind of the brand here. But I kind of wonder how is it different from your home game? Is it like because I think there's something with this we're talking about adventure, uh, those seasons being confined to being a season, being comedic kind Maybe it's its own tone. Each each, each book, each chapter could potentially have its own tone. I guess is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is like being comedic. Then, if some okay, let me put it that way. Sometimes comedy comedy in my games feel a little bit disruptive. Yeah. Well, I feel that in an adventure, it's because it's a little bit short shorter. It makes sense to to go there. I'm kind of wondering in your long epic or your campaign or whatever you call it. Uh, I think it's, uh, if I remember correctly, colonization. I think I heard you say at one point. The oh, the epic. Oh, the, the home game is called Eridane. Okay. Eridane. Yeah. Um, so how's comedy comedy playing into that one? It's a really great question. Totally different. First mm -hmm. of all, my home game is my friends are the funniest people in the world. Of them, I'm the only professional comedian. Mm -hmm. By the way, when I say that, I want to be very clear. Professional comedians are not funnier necessarily than average people they, because performance is a series of skills that honestly has more to do with being professionally unembarrassable than it has to do with... <laughs> <laughs> it has to do yeah. with like funniness. Like, you know, I, I have family members and friends that are to me like the funniest people in the world. They would never get up on stage because they have a combination of either stage fright or just frankly self-respect. And so they don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember the first day of drama class that I took. I didn't take a lot of, uh, but it was dress up crazy, stand up on a chair and say some kind of crazy line so that everybody laughs at you. And then we break the ice and then we start. Yeah, truly. And so, so uh, uh, that being said, the real, I think 
every game will have moments of comedy in it. You're hanging out with your friends. Imagine telling, like imagine actually doing a campaign that was tonally constant within the tone of Game of Thrones or of like the DC Comics Batman movies. You'd, you'd lose your mind. You'd be like, I'm miserable at the end of a session, right? Mm -hmm. but, you can but I feel like there's, sorry to interrupt there, but I oh, feel like it. there's a difference between, for me, there's, yeah, there's humor at my table at our table map right there like yeah, we chat yeah. but it's it's in the warhammer game because i'm going grimdark it's not canon you know like the things that are or it doesn't feel are... like maybe the two characters will laugh amongst each other about something but as soon as the game master introduces a dopey npc that that is so different in terms of tone that yes. like, it just maybe you're 100 it'll right. be funny but it'll yes. it'll feel out of place you're 100% right. Tone is very critical. So there's a couple of things going on here, right? There's a, there's, there's a meta and then there's a textual. Textually, the campaigns for Dimension 20 are meant to be comedic. Candyland, Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. you know, New York City as a fantasy location. Like New York mm -hmm. is like a gritty, there's not a lot of the, you know, it's not like having a fantasy set in like London or like, oh, like Tokyo, a lot of these world cities that have, you know, you can go to these ancient shrines, you can go to London and see the old castles. Of, <laughs> it's like New York is like rats, bagels, pizza. Why would there be magic here, right? Um, uh, but so there's this comedic concept or, the, or fantasy high, high school for heroes right there's a comedic concept so the worlds have comedy baked into them within that you go to the meta as well which is that the players are all comedians themselves and are all improvisers now the funny thing about that is i would say i laugh less doing dimension 20 than i do in my home games because we are not trying to make ourselves laugh. We're trying to make the audience laugh. So there's a lot, and, and also it's professional. We're being paid mm -hmm. to do it. So mm -hmm. we're here doing a show. We are here doing a show, trying to get you to laugh at home in the way that we were doing an improv show. Now, obviously we do laugh a lot on Dimension 20 in the same way that if you were doing an improv show, if you were in the scene, you'd be trying to stay in character. But if you're one of the people on the back line or off on the side, if you watch Whose Line Is It Anyway, when the other people are not in the scene, they're laughing off on the sides <laughs> watching what's going on, right? But when you're in the scene, you're trying to stay in the moment because often the funniest thing is to commit and mm -hmm. to not break, right? This is like Jimmy Fallon got really criticized on Saturday yeah. Night Live for breaking all the time. It ruins it. You want, you want to stay in the moment so that the audience is laughing. So, so there's a meta, meta textually, we're professional comedians. And then in the text, uh, the worlds are meant to be funny, right? You go over to the home game and that changes on both levels. What's so funny is I don't make comedic concepts for my home games. They're often just like interesting fantasy that I want to explore. But because it's not a professional endeavor, when funny stuff comes up, we will often riff and laugh in the moment because we're not wasting anyone's time. We're there to have a good time. So mm -hmm. I actually do agree with you that in my home games, the canon isn't what's supposed to be funny, but when something funny happens organically, we take a moment to like delight in it. I'm glad to hear that. I was suspecting with your background in philosophy that that would be the case. And I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, that it is because I think for, I don't see, and I'd like to have your comment on that. I, I have a hard time seeing this 
tonal dissonance built in into the campaign lasts super long. Like I, I fantasy high does it because I feel like it's not, I don't know. I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like something like escape from the blood keep could be nice to have two, three adventure, but I don't know if you would do three years of it or you're the Let's, expert in that. Like, I'm not, I don't want to put the words into your mouth here. No, but I definitely hear your point. And but here's the funny thing is the flip side of that is I don't know if we could have done another season of A Crown of Candy because bizarrely A Crown of Candy became so intense. We were like mm. weeping at the table. There was because because A Crown of Candy, despite them all being made out of candy, was very high lethality. They were a family. People died. It was very, very intense and it was very committed. And again, even though we're all comedians, a lot of us are also actors, which means that we can feel these things sometimes more deeply than we even, you know, I've been surprised. I've choked myself up. I've had moments where I'm like, oh man, like I played myself. I made myself cry. Well, how did that happen? Like, oh no. Um, but the interesting thing is for my, so I have a philosophy, I have a background in philosophy and a background in comedy. To me, absurdity and absurdism, there is a tremendous part of the nihilist framework of philosophy that embraces absurdity. And there's also, you know, my family is, is Irish Catholic going back a long ways. Gallows humor, the idea of dark comedy, comedy that does not shy away from how intense and brutal the world can be, but still finds a way to laugh you know, that intense sort of like, uh, there's a certain degree of like fatalism that is present both in the Irish Catholic tradition that is present both in like American pragmatism of the guy on the gallows laughing. Um, so to me, I do not perceive a tonal dissonance. I don't, I don't know how to, let me just think how to put this. You cannot put any two items in a sandwich and always have a good sandwich <laughs> but right like you can't put, you can't put any kind of comedy and drama together and have something good but weirdly i actually pride our campaigns on the ability to have a fight where a goblin climbs up a corn blob's butthole <laughs> and then 10 episodes later you are Spoilers for the end of season one of Fantasy High. There's a character who's a werewolf guidance counselor named Jawbone who gives a speech to one of the player characters who is struggling with uh, a generalized anxiety disorder with basically having panic attacks. And the werewolf sees that she's crying and the real player is so moved in this moment that she starts crying because a fear effect has hit her and she's run away from her friends and she's having a panic attack and she can't go help her friends. And the werewolf guidance counselor gets anxiety medication and gives her this speech about how she is not a coward and that mental health is she, she is she is it's not a character flaw to have panic attacks she's just sick she just needs medicine the werewolf guidance counselor does this with a personal anecdote about smuggling an iguana full of drugs past border patrol and giving a blow job to a border patrol officer who happened to have venereal warts now just go watch the clip because that to me is the is the part where where this is again some weird this is this is part of my personal philosophy of like absurdism and the role that comedy plays in real life but to me 
real life is a tragedy and real life is a comedy. And if you're telling the most epic kind of story, you should be able to do both. Um, but not everyone feels that way. And I respect that. And, and Brendan, uh, that's, to be able to do that is a great feat, I think. And, and <laughs> honestly, to have, to have a scene like that in a setting, in an environment with the context that is so serious, but then for the, the joke to be, to be, to, to feel natural and for it to get pulled off in such a fantastic way, I think, you know, hats off to you. And, and I think that that is precisely one of the things that most game masters try to strive to do in their games. I, I wonder, you know, if, if, we do, if we do bring it back to the adventure and, and to the creative process that you embark on when you're planning an adventure of this nature, uh, do you try to like instill that comedic tone as part of your creative process that you tell yourself, this is going to be a comedic, uh, the comedy is going to be present and I'm going to embrace it. Or, or like you're saying, it's going to be present anyway. So you don't even consider it. Like how, how does, how does that comedy play into your creation of, of the adventure? This is a great, this is a great question. A couple answers. Number one, I feel like, so many campaign, a D&D &D campaign is just so long that I think being monotone, and by monotone, I don't mean boring. I mean, literally of a single tone mm -hmm. is really hard to pull off. You can cleave to one genre, but if we think about, think about like, like a movie like Casablanca, which is a classic epic. Casablanca has romance, it has espionage, it has moments of intense comedy, really over the top comedy. It has a musical interlude, it has a montage, it has war stuff, it has interpersonal drama, it has character study. A good D&D campaign, I think, is, should be like Casablanca, where it's like, listen, we might be in this genre, we might be in the grimdark genre, but remember, we're gonna be in this grimdark genre for a hundred hours. Are we going to have a grimdark romance? What does a grimdark romance feel like? Are we going to have grimdark espionage? What does grimdark espionage feel like? And weirdly, you probably are going to have grimdark comedy. <laughs> what's grim? Even Game of Thrones has moments of levity in it. Um, you know, it's a great example of a moment of levity. Seven Samurai, one of my favorite movies of all time. Incredible, tragic bleak Akira Kurosawa story of this lost order, these farmers hiring these seven ronin. Incredible. There is one samurai who's funny. He's a funny guy. And he, he dies first, though? Dies first. <laughs> exactly. And they make a line about it where the lead samurai goes, he was the one who was going to raise our spirits, and now he's mm. gone. But even in this incredibly tragic, somber movie, they have a dude who does a double take. You know, he's like chopping wood and he goes, what? Right? Like you have the moment of this, because I think that, um, again, no shade, but when I watch some of the like DC Batman stuff, I look at it and I go like, nobody in Gotham cracks a joke? That's not even <laughs> realistic. Like if you were yeah. living in Gotham, 
wouldn't you want to you would you'd crack a joke just to get through the goddamn day yeah yeah you know yeah. like nobody would be like like think about even right now in this moment in america where everything is so crazy one of the things people do when they get on the phone or they zoom with each other is they go isn't this crazy like you're telling me a guy in a bat costume fought a clown on the steps of city hall <laughs> and no one was like i don't know who the mayor is it's the bat or the clown i don't know I mean, what's happening <laughs> i want to i want to see that movie <laughs> Someone would crack a joke. And, yeah. uh, and I th so I think when we're starting an adventure, when we do it for Dimension 20, it is very pointed because we're putting on a show. You know, mm -hmm. we are playing a real game of D&D, &D, but, you know, we would, it would be ludicrous not to be like, hey, there's cameras running. Like, this is, this is different, right? Um, uh, and, but then on, on the flip side, I think for other stuff, it's just that... Um, Comedy is not the goal in my home games, but it is welcome because it adds truth to the world. Comedy is a part of real life and it should be a part of, I think, an attempt to depict reality. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I suppose that its inclusion not only adds realism, but it, it helps to emphasize all of the bad things. Like, you know, it, it helps facilitate making the distinction between what's awfully terrible and the things that are funny and, and, and having that, again, like Chris is saying, having that spectrum allows you to be able to identify where you, where you find yourself on it. Um, oh, hell yeah. And I mean, what could be, be you know, like having those comedy beats, it's the perfect lead in for a horror beat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> having that moment where everything feels groovy and we're all laughing and having a good time sets you up for the sucker punch, you know, like having that tonal again, Yes, you have to manage tone. It is it is very possible to do things that are tonally dissonant. However, a variety of tone, if it remains within genre, allows you to have really satisfying story beats where that tone shifts in a dramatic way. And I suppose, I mean, I can only talk about my own lived experiences, but when I'm playing a game, whether it be as a game master or as a player, I, I feel like people want to crack jokes. Like, you know, you... Life, life is beating you down. You're sitting down at the table playing with your buddies. You're gonna, you're gonna crack a joke whether the game master wants you to or not. So I think it, you almost need to embrace it. You need to insert those pressure valves within the game to enable that to come out. I think. Yeah, pressure valve is a great example because. I think you're right. Comedy is going to happen. Someone's go you're you're going to be a dungeon master and in the middle of describing your villain, you're going to slip up and have a tongue twister and you're going <laughs> to give him a dumb name. I when I was a kid when I was 13 years old, I created an elven mage who was the servant of an ancient silver dragon and I gave them an elven name. The name I gave them, I just wrote it down. I never said it out loud because I was doing my session prep. Uh, elven name, it seemed elven at the time, was F-A-L-A-S. And so the dragon said, all right, I've, I'm departing now. Come, Phallus! And, I, and my whole table went, what? What did you just say? And I went, no, his name is, uh, oh, no. 
<laughs> no, that was my no. next question. Did you retract or did you win? Go for it. it. Well, the table exploded. We were all 13, Chris. Oh, yeah. It was over. That was the end of the day. We had to wrap. We had to wrap 45 minutes early. And people were just <laughs> running through the field screaming. Ah! Just like couldn't, couldn't believe it. So there was so you're gonna have that, right? And now the question is, do you do you put a valve on the machine to release pressure or not? Because my fear, if I was like, cut it out, everyone stop laughing. His name's Phallus, take it seriously. The problem there is like, I either you have to redline that and come up with a new name, or you you have the elf go like, I don't see what's so funny. <laughs> In my language, Phallus means erect warrior. And you're like, <laughs> What? You know, you like lean in, you lean into the joke and you go like, okay, this is, we're, we're going to roll with this now. Yeah, yeah. You know, a machine that doesn't have a pressure valve makes a pressure valve by exploding, right? Like pressure's got to get released one way or another. You either put the pressure valve on it to take care of it or it takes care of it itself in a really violent, unpredictable way. Um, so I totally agree with that analogy, Matt. I think that's a great analogy. Great. I think we're getting a little bit long and we have a, I have a couple of questions that I really wanted to ask you because we don't have Brendan on the show every week, right? Uh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, because of, and I guess it's going back to a little bit of this improv thing, I'm going to do a little setup here. So in terms of our, our experience of, we're not actors. Uh, in our table, we're trying, like we say in the intro, we're trying to focus on role play. We love it. And we're getting a lot better every time we play. And one of the things we we started doing is to set up scenes a lot more, kind of like the role play task I was talking about. And we have other things like something we talk on this show is called a puffer fish moment, uh, which is basically having a, a structure for a scene. Yeah, how to like start talking, a scene. Talking sticks to yeah. Put I don't know if you know. Uh, you probably know, but like French improv. It will. I don't. I don't know how. I think it's French, specifically French Canadian improv. French Canadian yeah. improv, yeah. Yeah. Where I, it's kind of like a scene. Go ahead, you've got the, the 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 fake hockey boards, which is your arena, and players can jump on and off of the scene. But when they're on when when they're on the scene, they don't have to act. You know, they, they can find their moment and jump in right at the right time. So these puffer fish moments were a way to identify when someone's ready to they, they put <laughs> To, to, to put shame to ourselves, they're kind of like crutches, really, to enable people like us to, to get better at gift-giving and, and roasting. It's, yeah, and it's to show when do we enter the scene, basically, because it's not always clear who's in the scene, so it's it's to manage spotlight. But one thing we, we, we worry, or I guess we struggle with, it's the end of the scene, and that's something that watching Dimension 20, you guys being professional, it's really clear that you got that down, when to jump in, when to be done, when to wrap up the scene. And that way you as a game master can bring the story, the story ahead, like move forward. As a game master, we have this scene set up. Well, at my table, we have this scene set up, but something I, I have a hard time is ending the scene to move on because people just talk at one point. So I yes. wondered what are your tips or what's your view on that subject? This is such a good, I gotta say, we're like an hour into this. These questions rule. You guys are talking about all the stuff 
that I think really, really matters when you're running a game. I'm so glad that this is this having this like very pointed role play centric thing. So first of all, pufferfish scene sounds amazing. Can I just ask why it's called a like or or like what's that's a good question? Kind of, yeah, like uh, it's actually because we were looking for 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 talking sticks, and the only thing I had was were pufferfish that you put in the dryer. Like the dryer balls. So yeah. there, there's there are literally two, and I even bought a third one for my table, not even for my dryer. <laughs> so that's great. So you have a way of like getting into these scenes. As you initiate these scenes, is there, like the role-playing tasks, is there like an agenda you set at the top of the scene or is it more freeform than that? It's it's freeform. I mean, you could, you could, in, you could infer that perhaps the moment, the, the pufferfish moment is to talk about your task, your role play task, but it doesn't have to be. It could be whatever. Gotcha. It could be about whatever. Yeah, you want. and and we did a video on uh, uh, an episode on this, but uh, there's kind of different levels, like mm -hmm. to have more role play. I guess the first one we we encourage people is to talk it before, like talk about it before, have an agenda, then have the scene. But at one mm -hmm. point, yeah, we're at the point where we don't usually explicitly say what the scene was about is going to be about. Yes, but yeah. So here's what I would say, right? Ending a scene. The, first of all, this is such a good question because there are so many DMs that I think feel totally out of the loop. Like, what do you do? Especially like, let's say your PCs are very scared of the next step in the adventure and they're planning. Your PCs could spend multiple sessions planning if they're nervous. They could, I mean, they could talk about how to do some, think about how easy it is to run anxiety in your own head, let alone if the stakes are life or death for your beloved <laughs> yeah. character, right? So one of the things that it is okay, you have permission from me listening at home, if you're a dungeon master, you can be a little bit of a mediator right? It is not railroading to, let's say your PCs are planning. If it's been going on for 20, 40, 60, like an hour, whatever, like minutes and minutes and minutes, you can lean in and start to put a thumb on the scales. If your PCs are really, really confused about what to do next, you can say, everyone give me an investigation or an arcana check. Someone gets a high roll, you say, you think this of your three ideas is the most likely to be successful. Great, you've given them clarity, they can move on. PCs don't wanna be trapped in limbo forever, they wanna move on. If, if people are talking for a little while, there's a natural lull in the conversation, you can look in and say, great, if that's enough, we're gonna move on to the next scene. You can literally lean in, you can, you can come in and, and give prompts. Your players are in a big, fun marketplace that you've set up. They're doing scenes, they're doing stuff. Um, you can lean in and be like, great, does everyone have anything they want to wrap into the bazaar? Because as the sun sets, you feel music starting, it's time for you guys to get to the thing. It is not railroading for you guys to, to for the DM to kind of keep an agenda, to keep the clock ticking a little bit. I would say far from being pushy, that's actually one of your jobs is to mm -hmm. keep momentum going forward, um, uh, to, to keep that, that idea. Um, Matt Colville has a whole great piece on this about one of the DM's main responsibilities is time. PCs cannot control the flow of time. Only the DM can do that. The DM can ask for initiative to start, which literally 
slows time down to the point where a six second round of combat can take 45 minutes. A DM controls time by saying, okay, you sail three days later, you arrive here, right? Only you as the DM can control the flow of time. So you actually need to be the person saying, we're going to wrap this up now. It's not pushy, it's friendly, right? It's a good thing to do for your PCs. Now, the question is, when do you pull that trigger, right? So we've established not only should you, you must. You must be the person to wrap things up. You must, like like an awards speech, or like, or like a speech <laughs> in an awards show, the orchestra kind of comes up and you're like, okay, let's wrap it up. When do you do that? From a writing background, from like a screenwriting background, the main thing that a scene is trying to do is change a value. If a scene is plot relevant, a change happens when we have a new thing to do, or we know how to do something we've been trying to do, or uh, we move past, we get past an obstacle that was preventing us from doing something we were trying to do, right? Any of those three things, that means a plot-based scene can wrap up. Let's say that a scene's not plot relevant. It's a full role-playing scene. How do you, let's say two characters are having a heart to heart. They're having a great role-play discussion. We're doing a role-play task. We're finding out about someone's mother who passed away. Um, when does that scene wrap up? It wraps up for the same reason. A change has happened, but this change should be internal. Has another PC learned something and changed a piece of their attitude about another character? Did the character that we think was completely tough and cynical and battle-hardened revealed maybe a secret injury from their past emotional or otherwise that made them that way? Um, does the character who is, you know, completely just a fast talker and whatever else share that maybe the reason they're a fast talker is they don't trust people and another character shares that they find that heartbreaking? They think, it's, they think that they don't understand a character could go through life without trusting other people. You have this moment of, remember that a change can also be a revelation. You learn something, what's changed? your image of that person. You learn something and the thing that changed is how you view that other character. So as a dungeon master, once you see that change, something has been gained, a piece of knowledge, an advancement, anything like that, you have carte blanche to end the scene. And I think as a DM, once you see on your player's face the satisfaction of having gained something, even if it's just knowledge about themselves or another player, um, no one is going to resent you moving the scene on to the next scene. That's going to be welcome once you have seen, yeah, we got a piece of change out of this. I, I really like how you gave that a very quantifiable metric, Brennan, because that, like you're saying, not only gives people the permission to do it, but you can kind of measure it, right? You can say, okay, we've, we've obtained that change and and yeah. we can now move on uh, you don't have to feel the need to keep talking at the bar with the bartender for an extra 15 minutes just to kind of ramble and then move on to something else so that's that's great i i, I really appreciate that um and and i, I imagine that this th does this come strictly from writing or is it is it also acting improv like i feel like those lines kind of blur quite frequently oh i, I would sure. imagine Oh, sure. And I think that's the thing, too, is, you know, there obviously in something where you're doing traditional acting, you're doing sketch comedy, you're doing uh, screenwriting, there's, there's an economy of verbiage, there's an economy of, like, you know, um, 
where you're trying to constantly like, how do I put it? The economy of moving a story forward. So in a screenplay, it's like you have two hours to tell the full story. Every single scene should be moving the plot forward and letting us know more. Now in D&D, obviously, you're not under the gun like that, but um, that same principle will help things feel purposeful. It will make sessions feel more vital and full of meaning and significance if in your scenes you are looking for that idea of like, and I think as a dungeon master, it's helpful too, because it's like this. Get better at noticing when the scene has served its purpose, which again, um, uh, serve its purpose doesn't mean that every single scene is like, stay on the plot, find the bad guy, do the thing, right? Having a soft moment where two characters are in a romantic love seat before the big battle and they're just sharing their feelings with each other, that is significant. Like mm -hmm. having character revelation, because also it's like, okay, you followed plot, there's a big battle. I never had a scene that show me why I liked any of you guys. So why do I care <laughs> whether you're gonna live or die? You're not, I don't even yeah. like you. You know, like, so having those heartfelt moments is very valuable. But again, within that, it's still, did we see something change? Did, it, did, did a value change from one to the other? And as a dungeon master, if you're having a lot of scenes where you're not finding that change, maybe the question there is, are these types of scenes necessary, right? Like good things to skip, like, let's say that you have a character, like your character's gonna go on a voyage and everyone, there's a customs officer um, at the ship, right? That's like checking people into the ship as they go on. Are your characters carrying anything illegal? Do they have their papers in order to get on the ship? Cool, don't run that scene. Nothing of value will happen there, right? So try as a dungeon master to get into the habit of only initiating things that you feel have the potential to offer some kind of insight. That insight doesn't need to be pure dramatic plot relevance. That insight could be character-based. It could be comedic. It could be something that just gives a flavor of the setting. It could be maybe here's a potential new ally for you. And if it's totally improvised, like let's say the characters talk to the bartender and I have the bartender start talking and they take an interest, I am now more likely to add in that that bartender maybe is a part of the rebel alliance and is a potential ally or maybe that bartender has secret information about someone they're pursuing just because i know that if the pcs have started a scene one of my best ways of getting out of the scene is to make it significant and that means that we will know when something important has happened and we can end it yeah yeah that's really that's fantastic and it's it's something that i think people will do, yeah, game masters will do often. And I think it's something that players have to get into the mindset of doing as well. Like you're saying, right? You can explore the mundane, but explore it with a little bit of intention. Um, yes. So that's, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'm looking at the clock. I think we're, we're running definitely uh, a little long. I don't know, Chris, if you had something else you wanted to talk to Brennan about. Or many things, many things, but, <laughs> but let's wrap it up. <laughs> oh man, that flew by, gang. This was such yeah. a wonderful, yeah, this is great. Yeah, th thanks, Brennan. And, and you know, before we, before we conclude the show and, and we kind of take a look and conclude and, and kind of wrap up the show, I want to pass the microphone up, carte blanche to you, Brennan, if, if there was things that you wanted to, to promote things that you you think the audience listening, you know, people listening would appreciate. So where people can find you, your next big project, what what have you? 
Oh, awesome. Uh, uh, everyone go check out. We're, we're halfway through the second season of uh, one of one of our campaign settings called The Unsleeping City over on Dimension 20. Um, go over to dropout.tv, start a free trial, new episodes every Wednesday. And we have Adventuring Academy there where we talk tabletop theory. We have Adventuring Party where we have cast talkbacks about the episodes we've done uh, of Dimension 20. Um, if you want to get a free taste of some of our earlier campaigns, we got a bunch of campaigns up for free, youtube.com slash Dimension 20 show. Uh, go check them out. And you can find me at Brennan LM on Twitter and at Brennan Lee Mulligan on Instagram. Great. And, and I just wanted to say here, I've been watching your stuff even before we started this podcast uh, a while back and I, and I love it. And something I'll say to the audience is I feel like when people watch actual play, uh, they have maybe like the, the, the OG in mind critical role, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I love too. But when I watch critical role, I usually watch it doing dishes or doing something else because there's a lot of content, right? And when there's something happening, I might pay attention. What I love about your show, Dimension 20, is it's edited, which means it's always super punchy and, and, and funny. And when I watch it, I actually put it on the big screen, grab a beer, take popcorn. You know, it's it, you can actually get the entertainment like in a very, uh, the package that you want it to be. You want it to be funny, punchy, and it's, it's yeah, great it to watch. It really does feel like uh, you're going for a very, cl as close to the, to the marriage of having, like you're saying, mainstream media and the actual play podcast. I think you're, you're finding a very good balance there, Brennan. So I know you don't have to hear it from us, but you're, you're good job. <laughs> uh, truly our editors, Noah Diamond, Aaron Hasidim, uh, Emily Easton. We have some of the, you know, our, uh, it's, there are so many talented professionals who work on Dimension 20. Um, uh, it's, I am staggered constantly by their, their talent. Um, uh, but yeah, the, um, uh, it's, it's, you guys are so lovely for having me on today. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it's it. Our pleasure. It's been a blast to pick your brain mm -hmm. and get all that insight. It's, it's great. Yeah. So today we talked about adventures for the most part. We talked about a lot of other things too, but that's, <laughs> that's the nature of having yeah. these unscripted conversations. So, so yeah, adventures. Um, how do we define those, Chris? I mean, I mean, the wrap-up is going to be hard today, I feel, because we kind of went everywhere. But, like, adventure being a self-contained narrative with being uh, having a hook at the beginning, a resolution at the end. That's what we mean by adventure. We talked a lot. I mean, we didn't, like, explicitly, but we talked a lot about session zero uh, in having this communication with your player and having maybe a, a tonal idea of, of where you're going with it, presenting it to the players. Uh, and once you get the characters in the players in then you can maybe bring the plot forward or at least intertwine with what you had prepared first uh we talked a lot about improv um maybe matt can you grab it from there yeah sure i mean brennan if, if you feel inspired feel free to to jump in but yeah mm -hmm. we talked about improv brennan gave us some 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 tips and tricks as as it were to talk about g gift giving and trying to give purpose to to your your scenes that kind of thing 
uh, I think a lot of great advice was given back and forth by all parties, uh, uh, specifically, uh, uh, and this about but getting into it too. I loved what you had to say about inertia, uh, Christian, being a really central component of like getting past the initial static nature of these things. Um, and I think too, just a lot of fun about yeah about investing in the storytelling and uh, also love pufferfish scenes. I love that. I'm just gonna take that in my head. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, Incredible. yeah, and, and then we kind of wrapped it up talking about about tone and how you know just because you you're running a game that's serious, you should allow for levity. You should allow for for moments of comedy, um, and to try to have that marriage of a number of different things. And it, you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you stick to one tone throughout the duration of a long term campaign. Um, so use those adventures as a combination of different tones. Please reach out to us if you have comments or questions or things that you, you know, you wanted to, to, to ask us about today's episode. You're more than welcome to do so by contacting us on Twitter. That's at role underscore play underscore chat. Or with an email that's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com. And Brennan, thank you again for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Uh, a pleasure, an honor, a delight. Gentlemen, I truly had a ball. Thank you so much for having me here. It's our pleasure. What, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Love it, love it. Woo-hoo-hoo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoy the show, and let's call it a chat. <laughs>